everyone and Happy New Year from us at Coaches on the Couch. I'm Rachel Birchmore. And I'm Louise Rogers. And it's 2024 and we're three years into this our podcast exploring leadership with guests across the built environment. And this year we're planning a few changes. So watch out for those uh, later in the, the month. In the meantime, a quick introduction to Rachel and I for any new listeners. We're both leadership coaches specialising in the built environment. We come together under the name Step Up to design and deliver leadership development programs for architects, engineers and other consultancies across the sector. And if you'd like to know more about how we could support you or your team, please get in touch with us or see our website stepuplondon.com. So on to today's episode, which is a goodie. We're delighted to be joined by Damien Wilde, Managing Director of Ing Media, and his predecessor in that role and founder of Ing, Leanne Trisson. So let's dive into that conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coaches on the Couch 2024. And uh, before we get into anything else, um, let's chat couches. Please tell us something brief and interesting about your couch. And Leanne, I'll come to you first. Okay, uh, so my couch is actually sort of a chair and um, I've picked it because it's in my new home office because I've been kicked out of the uh, Ing office to a degree and it's special because it's a Matthew Hilton Balzac chair that I bought many, many years ago and it was one of the first items, you know, those moments when you get some, buy something that's your success moment. But I think the salesman at uh, SCP was horrified because it's in hot pink leather <laughs> and yeah. I don't th- think anyone had purchased anything from SCP in uh, uh, hot pink leather. Anyway, it's uh, I'm not sure he was wrong. I think I was wrong, but anyway, I love it. Good. Sounds fabulous. Mm. Damien? How, how do you follow a couch story that involves <laughs> hot pink leather? Well, this I've... could be a theme of this conversation. How do you follow that? <laughs> Good. I think I'm about to cast this as very, very different here. We recently replaced our couch, which was remarkable because it was the first time we'd done so in 20 years. And so this couch had outgrown our children um, pretty much, both physically and, um, and in lifespan as well. And so we're very pleased with our new couch. And we temporarily moved the old one to the side of the room where it's taking up a massive amount of space. And sure enough, it's still there some months on. And I find myself sitting on that old couch more than I ever did when it was our only couch. I quite like the comfort. So I think as we're literally on the couch here, there's all sorts of metaphors and insights going on around um, loyalty, longevity and preferences. But we can come back to that, I'm sure. Oh, I don't think we've ever had so rich a metaphor for for couches for the conversation that uh, we and more importantly, you're about to have. So many of our listeners won't really need an introduction to Ing, um, which is the leading public relations consultancy working within the built environment. And that's mostly down to Leanne, because she founded the agency in 1999. And our previous podcast with her recorded back in 2020. So you can find that uh, where you can find all our other podcasts. We talked a little bit about those early days and Leanne's story. And today, Ing is not only active in the UK, but partners with leaders, brands, cities and organisations all over the world, helping them to define their place in their built environment. The team is around 40 strong and Rachel and I recently had the pleasure of running a development day for the whole team and it was a real joy. 
Yeah, we did. It was. Um, and it was during that day that we thought about returning to Ing for another podcast conversation, uh, but this time including Damien, who became Ing's managing director almost exactly a year ago. And today we'd really like to explore that transition, how that's been achieved from both perspectives. Um, and before taking the helm at Ing, Damien was editor-in-chief at Estates Gazette. Uh, Leanne's still involved with Ing, serving as trustee on the Employee Ownership Trust Board, and is now also chair of the London Society. Um, and we've been struck by the apparent ease with which that important transition has taken place. But we're, of course, aware that so much must have happened behind the scenes to make the process as smooth as possible for both of you, your team and your clients. So let's, if we can, start at the beginning of that process. Uh, and Leanne, your decision to step back from the day-to-day -day management of Ing and search for a successor. I mean, over what period of time did that take place? Um uh, well, I think actually right right at the beginning, if you go back to 1999, it was sort of, even though I was a one-man band at the time, um, one of the reasons we, uh, or we, I came up with a name that uh, had nothing to do with me is I always wanted the business to be scalable. Mm -hmm. And I had worked with a couple of people who had um, their own names on businesses and that became very difficult. Not only, and I wasn't really thinking about exit at that stage. It was, you know, what can I do to to replicate myself really? And it's really difficult if your name is, uh, is above the company because uh, invariably people will always ask for you. So that was the, the sort of first moment really. And then I guess seriously, it started about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago, when we really started to focus on building a senior management team. And again, maybe some of your listeners will sort of understand this. When you start out, if you're an architect or an engineer or a PR person, you're not necessarily trained in management. And so businesses kind of develop organically, not necessarily with people who are who are good managers, but we're good at what we do. And then, you know, the management side gets added on, you know, we stumble through that process. And so we really started to look at uh, expanding the team. So at that stage, Tony Danaher came on as chairman, Dominic Morgan came on as, you know, a fat, just fantastic senior and very experienced director. And then we started to work with all the, the other senior people in the in the Ing team to formalize our structures and start to train people for the idea that they're actually managing a business now, not just being comms people. Um, but I guess when and then, you know, I, I was very fortunate to spend a lot of time with a lot of clients who were going through, or sometimes they didn't know they were going through succession. I mean, I think as a founder, you have a very different perspective. You know, you we often talk about, we know we've got to go, but it's really hard to make that decision to make yourself redundant. And I, I was fortunate to watch people do it well and people do it not so well. And that really started my mind thinking about how how would I do it in terms of, and you've got to separate me from the business because the business by this stage was working really well as, a, you know, very, having a lot of success going really well. So it was actually quite a personal decision. And I think it was during the pandemic that uh, there were two things that happened. First of all, 
the the change to digital uh, for the comms world, as well as the global opportunity for Ing, had happened before the pandemic, and I really saw that you know Ing um, could be sort of the Arabs of the comms world. You know, in in twenty years' time, I think we could be involved all over the world in all sorts of different aspects of communications, and particularly digital communications was important to that. However, you know the the energy that you need to make that happen to to make that work. You know your personal energy is massive, and I didn't feel like I'd had some changes in my personal life, and I could see that opportunity for the business, but it was kind of at odds with my own personal desires. You know, was I prepared to be on a plane around the world for the next ten years? Probably not. And then the other thing with COVID is it was really hard really, really hard. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about people who work, you know, going to work and, you know, how it affected employees. But I don't think there's been a lot talked about about business leaders. You know, it was extremely um, hard work and emotional, you know, and quite taxing. And I sort of thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting tired, I'm getting older, and I'm getting tired, and I'm not sure I'm the right person anymore to have the energy to lead people in this next sort of 20-year uh, vision. So that's when I really, really started to look at, okay, who who will take my spot? Fascinating. Good to hear you kind of acknowledge, which I don't think everybody has always done so, how emotional and tiring uh, that process, those two or three years were of leading through the pandemic. You know, not to ask you who was in the frame, but I am going to ask you, how did you get to meet? Maybe I'll ask Damien. Damien, how did you feel about that? I'm assuming it was some kind of approach. I don't know how that came through an agency, a headhunter from Leanne Direct. What was that? Give us a flavor of that first conversation that you had with Leanne. So I'd known Leanne for a long time in my role at EG and um, her over at Ing. And um, it wasn't that many years ago that EG moved to Bishopsgate, um, 10 minute walk from here. So I had popped in a handful of times and uh, Leanne did give me a call and suggested lunch, and I, I assumed it was a you know a regular sort of client focused, um, probably MIPIM. We talked about MIPIM a hell of a lot. Um, I'll come back to MIPIM actually. There was an interesting um, MIPIM conversation that perhaps um, perhaps is worth mentioning a little later on. But I, I had that conversation with Leanne, and I I remember during that conversation actually when she suggested meeting up, it seemed a little bit more pressing than normal. Normally we'd put something into the in the diary for a little further down down the track but um we we were there talking and um I, I thought I'd never like to be presumptuous and I thought is is Leanne offering me a job here and then I thought is Leanne offering me her job and uh I became very very interested at that point and it was a it was a very quick decision the you know the opportunity was clear it came across you know it will come across to anyone who's met Leanne for longer than 30 seconds and it will have come across to, to anyone who listened to that answer you know that the passion and insight and genuineness and ambition um that that pours out of her so i was very receptive to all of that and i you know as having a great time at eg i'd been there for quite a long time i'd i was still enjoying it perhaps in the back of my head i was wondering you know might there be something next but certainly not very actively but um yeah leanne sold a vision over that lunch as effectively as she did just then did you plan for that leanne was that your did you go into that meeting with that intention 
Oh, absolutely. I and and the it's an important question about the who was in the frame because at Ing we have a superb range of leaders, but but they're kind of like me in some ways. And and what I wanted to do is make sure that the business had someone who had experienced massive change. It was really hard. So I would sit there day in, day out, going through everybody I'd ever sort of met or talked to and think of, you know, what were their skills about uh, running a business, uh, change management, you know, in terms of, and I don't mean internal change, I mean, you know, a changing landscape in which you're operating. And also being really good people. And I don't want to be rude about anyone but there were a number of people who are very successful sort of you know that I that I know of outside of Ing and then you just sort of uh hear about stories about how they manage teams or whatever and you think no they're not right they're not culturally right and I think Ing is a very very special place and we're an unusual place you know we we look after clients at all ends of the built environment spectrum and they're sort of I've I've said it many times many many tribes you know so you've got people who are very focused on money people who are absolutely passionate about design and communities and you know that the real heart of what we do and it's it's quite hard to find someone who embodies all of that, uh, who understands all of those aspects, but also understands how to run a business commercially and mm. how to operate in a world that's changed. And Damien is the only person I know who's done that. And, uh, you know, again, Damien was very kind before, but without blowing too much smoke towards him. He was always just such a genuine person. You know, I always got the sense and and it's it's important to say, I don't think Damien and I were like best buddies. We weren't back slapping mates, you know, on the PR sort of circuit. We we dealt with each other over a number of years very professionally and that was it. And at every encounter I'd come across Damien was somebody who was um commercially savvy, unbelievably respected by peers. I mean, if you mention to anyone Damien's name, they go, wow. And um, but deeply, deeply honest and um and with shared values. And and then I took a guess. I know this sounds a bit hocus pocus, but I'm a great believer in people's life cycles. And I looked at his LinkedIn and I thought, mm, he's been at EG a while. You know, well, you must be coming to that point in your life. And I don't want to talk about Damien's age, but, you know, what's next? Um, and I, I thought I'm going to take a punt here and have a chat and see if he's up for a change. And I think, you know, uh, I, w- I was just, so, well, Ing is lucky. I think we're all very lucky. So, Damien, tell us about that from your perspective, that that change, you know, from journalism across to PR, the various other changes. Tell, tell us your perspective. Just before I do, just to latch on to something mm. Leanne said, and I, I referred to obliquely a moment ago, MIPIM. You know, this was 2021 we're talking about, and MIPIM didn't happen for, for obvious and understandable reasons in March. But there was a, a smaller event in September, and a handful of us went there. There was, um, you know, a smaller UK contingent. There was a smaller contingent there. And I was very keen to go because 
you know, at EG, we were great, great supporters of MIPIM and, you know, they're a valued and valuable client of Ing as well. And so I, I did go to that MIPIM and we, Leanne invited me to a dinner with a number of um, people from the UK there, which we had in one of the beachfront restaurants. And there was a there was a small incident that I, I won't go in, into the details of uh, someone in, in property who waltzed over a little bit full of himself and, you know, sort of announced his presence. And I think we all, you know, slightly balked at the table at this. And Leanne dealt with it brilliantly, you know, just elegantly, respectfully, but emphatically that, you know, this this table this evening wasn't wasn't the right right time for him. And that I didn't actively think about it after Mipim, but it clearly lodged in in my mind. And so when we did start the conversation that that progressed to where we are now, progressed to this podcast, that that was in the back of my mind. And I think it was that that spoke to the shared values that um, mm-hmm. Leanne referred to, and I've, I felt that very very strongly. Um, and when we had that conversation, you know. Leanne's also very shrewd if she looked at my LinkedIn and wondered before I had realized that maybe I, I would be open to a change. I'd been in business journalism for, for 25 years. I'd been in, um, I'd been with EG for about 13 of those years. I'd been editor for TED and then moved into this, you know, sort of grand title of editor-in-chief that didn't have tremendous substance behind it. By that point, Sam McClary was already doing a, a great job as as editor. But what it did mean was I'd taken on publishing responsibilities. So I'd taken on commercial responsibilities for the magazine and the events business, as well as being having overall responsibility for the content, which I had I had done some commercial um, publishing work before, but not not for a very long time. And it was a couple of years of doing that that really sharpened those business skills, I think. And I'd also moved into a, a more strategic role at EG, looking at you know where where the sector was heading and how we might respond to that from a content and a, a data point of view. And it was that two or three years of experience, I think, on top mm-hmm. of you know working um, journalistically and editorially, that helped with the transition significantly, really, and you know helped with that. Gave me the experience I needed to to. Run on a business liking and so the skills were quite trans- transferable mm-hmm. um, in many ways but not all drawn journalistically if that makes sense although that was tre- has been tremendously helpful as well yeah I hadn't really thought about it that much in that way before but I can see I can see that totally and and going back to what um, Leanne said earlier about the change to digital and the opportunities that presented of course you'd all you'd been through that so you had you had already managed that transition to to quite a large extent. I mean, we we were thinking of asking you about, you know, because we we understand obviously that becoming an employee ownership trust was very much part of that process. Obviously, it took a, a there were a couple of years then of planning and thinking and negotiation, no doubt. And I just wondered um, what the biggest challenges were for each of you. I mean, Leanne, for example, did you hard, find it hard to let go, Damien? How was it meeting a new team? I mean, whatever you thought were the biggest challenges for for both of you, Leanne. I I mean, this is this is the hardest question uh, to to answer because there weren't a lot of challenges. I mean, I think you know, I I think again in the mind of the the founder, you've got to make that decision long before you know the person comes in place. And so I, I'd, I'd come to terms with the fact that eventually I would go. 
and it was just the when. And uh, we had a very long, so we announced uh, Damien in in uh, the January of uh, 2022. He then uh, didn't start until September of 2022. But we were working together, you know, throughout that period in terms of conversations and everything else. And he was meeting the team. So by the time he started, it was sort of, it was quite natural. And there wasn't that sort of dramatic moment of, you know, um, a sort of handover. And then we worked together. And then in, I said to Damien, look, I'm going to go down. It was always the plan that I would go down to three days a week in January uh, 23, which I did. It doesn't quite work out that way. That's the only thing I would say. Working three days a week is a nonsense for anybody, really. And I don't mean nonsense in terms of your own ability to um, cut off. But then for me, it was so clear that Damien had it and was was well across everything. And I then had to pick my time. And so I said, end of the financial year. Um, and Do you remember what I said when you told me that? I don't I, remember. I, you said that you were going to take a further step back at the end of the financial year. And I asked which financial year. And, and you meant the one that was just weeks away. So I had a, a swallow hard moment. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, that's not entirely true. That was months away. And I mean, I think we told the staff. I I, I told you in January because I, I felt you should have unfair. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but then we we left it a bit later to tell the staff. So what we were doing then is uh, working with clients to sort of wean them away. But but again, the, it wasn't so dramatic because we'd be doing it that anyway. I mean, anyone running a business that's growing, you unfortunately, you get further and further away from the day-to-day of clients uh, just because of the, the other responsibilities. But I think then when sort of I stepped away, I mean, it's been harder for me than it has been for them. I mean, Damien and Dom and the directors have got it completely in hand. And, you know, I'm the one who's clinging to my new life rather than them them worrying about me not being there. And I know that for a fact. I'm not I'm not being sort of falsely uh modest. It has worked incredibly well. And I'm intensely proud of how well it's worked. How do clients respond, Leanne? You said that, you know, as you as you as a company grows in many organizations, the founder and the and the managing director have less direct clients involvement but that's not always been I mean you know we've shared clients one in particular I'm thinking of and uh, and I think that you know I know how dearly those clients hold those relationships sometimes and I know that certainly in some of the practices we work with the architectural practices the 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 the, uh, the founders do hold those client relationships quite tightly uh, and it's a mutual thing you know the client the client feels like that as well was was that an issue Uh, I don't think so. And maybe Damien can talk to this, but not really because I'm still there if they need me. And and we've made that very clear. And it's a very fluid relationship that if someone needs to talk to me, then that's absolutely fine. And and I still have conversations. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty much working full time now anyway, but just for no money. I, that's <laughs> for, for other things. London so, society. Well, yeah. London society and the built in, you know, the general world we operate in. So I'm involved in lots of things, but the, there is no hard stop. 
there is a hard stop from a payroll point of view and sort of handing over the the reins. But in terms of the relationship with clients and everything else, that's um, if if anyone needs me, and that's happened a couple of times where people have just given me a buzz or the team have said, "Look, could you come in and have a chat or whatever?" But it's not it's not it's not been a dramatic situation. There's been no no dramatic change really. Yeah, Le- Leanne's um, leadership style is very empowering as well. So there, there is a team on every every account that has long felt empowered um, to deal with the client. And so there, there are many accounts where I feel I have got something to add and many accounts where I feel that um, there are other members of the team who are much better placed. And I imagine that was, um, that was Leanne's um, working style here as well. That's certainly been my experience. So I don't think there was a, a great deal of client anxiety i don't think there was there was none really no no material client anxiety which is exactly the structure that you would want to have and it had that test and i think leanne's point about being always there you know she she still mentors people on the on the team she's um so she she's still you know present where you know where there's, there's something valuable to add and just one one thing from a client perspective um one of our clients a big annual dinner. I was hoping to go. I, I couldn't go in in January for you know for for sort of home reasons. And I said um, I want and I asked Leanne whether she might step in for me, and she told me she was already going. So where those client relationships need to continue, they continue. Have you made any changes, Damien? So, well, my philosophy very much for the first year was not to break it. That, right. That was um, very much the case because there was so much that that worked well, and perhaps just taking a step back to that transition period where my joining was announced in the January, and mm. um, I didn't join until the September. Throughout that period, I, I was coming in once a week, I think, right. um, sometimes for you know management meetings, some t- a couple of interviews, a couple of client situations, and it's it's worth crediting the third person in our marriage during that period, which was my previous boss, Sean, uh, managing director of EG, who was very, very empowering during that period. And, you know, from a you know, from a business point of view, a selfish business point of view, I think there was value in that for EG. I think there was value in it for Ing, and there was certainly value in it for me and the team in in my day one not feeling like day one so i guess take it you know that that transition period the shock of the new didn't really happen because um because of that and then maintaining things and sitting you know you've seen the desk i'm sat at today not a couch and you know for all of my first year leanne was sat directly opposite me which helped send a very powerful signal to the team that we were aligned and there was continuity that said that there have been changes it's been evolutionary rather than um rather than revolutionary and perhaps just the 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 dialing up of certain things where i saw opportunity and where i felt my experience could um could add add quite quickly um and as we go into this second year now if you like of little bit more than um a year in now but in in the second year it's about looking at the areas where perhaps no one is serving parts Mm. of the market and there's an opportunity for us to for us to do so very well intriguing i i always say that you know the difference between someone like uh, Damien and myself is, you know, I I've got a style and an energy that gets the plane off the ground, and Damien has uh, got the style and energy for long haul flights. 
And um, I say that Ing now, your seatbelts are off, you know, the bar's open and um, it's on for the long haul. And I think that's, uh, that's, and that's what I get the sense of. It's very, very organized. I mean, when you go into Damien and Dom's office, it's really tidy. There's not piles of dog biscuits and, um, and there are some piles of dog biscuits cycle gear and all of that sort of rubbish they're really tidy people and it's very organized and uh it's uh it's a delight to visit mm, i think that's a really interesting analogy i was thinking that about the sort of evolution of of companies and the different energies at different stages like that so i think that's that's a great reflection um, I guess Actually, some, something sorry. we have done as a director team now is really, I, I was attempt, tempted to stick with the hot pink analogy. We certainly don't want to take the hot pink off the plane's livery, no. but it does need to be something authentic that, that speaks to the business now. So we're certainly not going navy blue, although I'm looking at myself on the screen now <laughs> and feeling yeah, very, sure. very navy blue. But there are, there are some things that we we each need to be able to dial up authentically to replace that energy and the you know that sort of launch pilot um skill that leanne that leanne brings so you know it would be disingenuous to say that we haven't lost something really valuable with leanne being around less i was going to say gone but being around less and it's up to us to find it or to replace it with something else that, that will be at least as valuable I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what the role that becoming an EOT um, played in the process of transition. Well, I think it was it was all tied together because you can't, as a founder, you can't step away from the business until you've got a very clear succession or exit strategy for yourself. And I looked at sort of a suite of opportunities that you can you can manage that through, and that's a management buyout, and that means that people have to sort of take a loan and buy the business from you or a trade sale. Uh, and again, I was lucky through clients that I learned a lot about the EOT process, and so that was the right thing for us. But I think in reality, it had less of a day-to-day impact for staff than perhaps it sometimes people think it's going to, because we'd already moved to quite a devolved way of operation um, at Ing. So we have this thing called the wheel, which is broken up into different sectors of the business. And people from the most senior people to the most junior people get to have a say on those areas. So we'd already had people being involved in the business. But uh, so I I think actually people were very excited, but then uh, a few months later were like, well, how, it doesn't really impact my day-to-day life in any dramatic way. The business continues to function. It's just the shareholding has changed. Obviously, that changed on the first year when we gave a payout to all of the staff members who were eligible. And that was, that was a real um, moment when people could see the value of their work represented financially. And again, I I was personally very proud of that moment uh, when you could say, here, we're sharing sharing the spoils. 
And that's continued to into a second year now. We've um, recently had our, our second annual payout. And I think that, you know, that it creates expectation, of course. It also creates an interest and an appetite to understand the performance of the business. So it's had a, a very positive effect. And I think um, people can link their contribution to their uh, to their reward even even more clearly than than is possible outside of an EOT. That, that's been one obvious benefit that you expect. And another real benefit that perhaps I hadn't foreseen quite so much is with clients. In this world, everyone is you know, struggling to demonstrate their purpose or keen to demonstrate, perhaps not, perhaps not struggling. And that might be through ESG policies for larger companies. It might be through B Corp status and others find other devices. And I found that when I say we are an EOT, that immediate people immediately they they either don't know what an EOT means and there's still a little bit of that out there but when people do recognize it it's it's there as a demonstration of a purpose-driven business a you know values-driven business um and uh you know that sort of understanding about it's it's not you know a, an obscure shareholder who might drive different decisions it's the people that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis what a fine note to, I think, probably bring this lovely conversation to an end. It's so good yeah. to hear you both speak about the whole process so positively. Um, I'm going to ask one last question. If you had to give one bit of advice to people considering their own transition out of an organisation that they founded, what would that be? Plan ahead and go. I think it is incredibly destabilizing on an organization when founders uh, tantalize everyone with their departure and then never, ever go. I think you be clear about what you want to do and when you want to go. And then people people will go with it. It helps everyone plan their own lives. And I think that's that's where I've seen it slightly go wrong, where people are, you know, I'm definitely going. And 10 years later, they're still definitely there. And that that is, a, is an issue. So go. Thank you. Damien? I think from a, the perspective of coming in is be very clear with people, be authentic, be, be consistent, um, help people get to know you as quickly as possible. And don't try to pretend to be the person who's departing, whose considerable shoes you're filling as well. Great pieces of advice there. Thank you. Anything to add, Rach? Oh, about a billion questions that we haven't got time to ask or have responses to. So just to say thank you very much. It was a great conversation. I think there's a lot of insights in there, hopefully for people thinking about similar sort of situations and journeys. So thank you very much. Happy New Year. Yeah, indeed. Thank you. Thank Happy you. New Year.